They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Doing the Nasty Podcast. This, ladies and gents, is season two, episode number seven. Lucky number fucking seven. I, of course, am one of your hosts. I'm Duncan McLeish. I do other things on this channel and have a podcast called Podcast Under the Stairs. Go and check it out if you haven't yet. I'm joined, as always, on season two by my co-host with the most. He is the phenomenal Mark Ball. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. We survived July. It was like... Uh, fairly level as far as like the months of this year goes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I, I was expecting like an alien invasion or like you know uh, a nuclear bomb to go off or something. Just the way things have been going this year, but uh, uh, we yeah we made, we made it through July with uh, I'm sure plenty of tragedies, but uh, uh, yeah we're here. People are getting mailed weird seeds in the mail. That's a that's a thing. I don't know if they bought them off of, like Wish or something or. If, I think they're being randomly sent them so that uh, basically like fake companies in China and other parts of the world can uh, leave themselves re- fake reviews or something because they have like proof that they sent people something. Yeah. It's also like nef- nefarious like bioterrorism type shit because I'm sure they're sending people super invasive species of uh, seeds and stuff that'll fuck up other ecosystems and stuff. So yeah, if you get you get random seeds in the mail, don't plant them. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting that like at the moment that you've decided to to turn your hand to you know <laughs> horticulture and you know like gardening and stuff like that. That's when other countries start espionaging your your territory by sending deadly seeds. It's nope. like Mark Ball can't catch a fucking break here, ladies nope. and gents. If it would have been a couple of years ago, I might have fallen for it, and it would turn out like a fucking Tales from the Crypt or something, where it's like a killer plant that Jordy Verrills me. Uh, but yeah, I think thankfully they've been warning a lot of people, like, do not fucking plant this shit. It's bad. Like The only other thing I can think of that is wholly bizarre that's happened in the last month is that whole internet conspiracy that the, the furniture company Wayfair is actually a pedophile ring and they name furniture after children and when you buy expensive furniture on their platform they're actually sending you kids um, which I mean at, at this stage now I'm, I, I mean it's, it's obviously fucking nonsense but at this stage now I'm like we are just grasping for anything we're just grasping for anything like and what people don't know is the ultimate conspiracy, which is the key to COVID, is up my asshole. <laughs> that yeah. is the biggest conspiracy, and I'll tell you right now, no one's getting it. <laughs> I think too many people look to people like Alex Jones for some sense of truth, and mm. like his his idea of truth is like, 
horribly skewed from like massive amounts of fucking cocaine and prescription drugs so i mean you're just listening to the ramblings of a fucking crazy person mm-hmm. at this point but people take it like totally to truth well, and totally the, to heart and that's the scary thing about this world right yeah, now the thing is like the thing with an alex jones um and the reason that like you're probably thinking to yourself i didn't sign up for this this is doing the nasty well the same hysteria that we're dealing with right now uh, is very similar, like this whole kind of cancel culture and you know, uh, free speech war and all these things. That's essentially what kind of kicked off the the purge of the movies and the video nasties. It was like yep. you know, like the government basically saying you cannot watch these movies because these movies will do you harm. Um, and we've already realised that the only harm that they do is you know if you're operating heavy machinery you might like it might fall on you because you're falling asleep because of that fucking boring um you know <laughs> you know what i mean it's like that is the the, the danger here is tedium um but the you know the the, the kind of the whole idea of of kind of a, a push towards like an alex jones scenario where people will say and rightly say well alex jones was right about this or he was right about that Yes, if I make like a thousand claims and three of them turn out to be true, that doesn't mean you should trust me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? The law of averages dictate that he will be right on time to time. Um, but you know what? Like his really, really wild conspiracy theories, which involve massive glo- like none of that turns out to be true. It's all the really small, weird shit uh, that he seems to, to to get right at eventually, but... You know, you need to be wary of this. You need to be really wary of these people. You need to be wary of anyone telling you you shouldn't read something, you shouldn't watch something, or you shouldn't educate yourself. Um, I find I find all that very nefarious. Um, however, if someone had said to me you shouldn't be watching one of the movies we're talking about tonight, um, and I chose to take that advice, I do feel my life would have been richer because <laughs> one of them is not as good as the other. Um, Mark, we have two movies, another two movies off the Section 3 um, Video Nasty list. For those that remember, the Section 3 are the movies that were kind of put on a list of recommendations for police officers to confiscate if they were seen, but you weren't like arrested or prosecuted in any way, shape or form. Um, they would just be taken away and burned, pretty much. Um the two movies that we're going to be covering on this episode are Foxy Brown, which seems like a bizarre title to be on this list, but we're going to get to it from 1974, and Night Beast from 1982, which like didn't surprise me for one fucking second when when I started watching. I was like, oh, I know why this is on here. Um, so we're going to get into that after the the first break, but before we get to that, seven episodes in Mark. Um, I used to do this with Andy on the on, when Andy did season one with me. Is every now and again to recap, kind of what we have done, what we have seen, and you know, in terms of their prominence. So, like when we were looking at the section one movies, we're kind of looking back over things, going, you know, are these really the worst of the worst? And we were like, yeah, movies like Cannibal Holocaust are really bad. Um, yeah. You know, but you would find the occasional one where you're like, I don't know how this made the list. Uh, looking at the Section 3 list, I I can maybe see where some of them are coming down. I don't agree, but I can maybe see where some of them are coming down. But what I am realising is uh, quite a few of these titles on here are like, 
I wouldn't even I wouldn't even class them as necessarily movies that push any level of extremity at all. Some of them have been fairly fucking banal. So I, I don't know if you're feeling the same way. Has there been anything thus far that's been like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this one is obvious. Like outside a you know Friday the Thirteenth or something. Is that you know? Is there has there been anything? I I I think mostly. Like I've, I've personally just like kind of hated the we've talked about it on almost every episode the 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 punish women because they're sluts movies like the, mm-hmm. the, um, the love butcher and uh, shit there's a couple other ones uh, th- that's really been like the, for the most part like the, we I don't think we've really hit like any like super like cannibal holocaust level extreme stuff there's definitely been some stuff where i'm like oh this is like a horribly ugly movie like through 2020 eyes like uh yeah and a lot of these movies are just like like rife with misogyny and uh that stuff kind of bothers me a lot more i I think back in the day like just about anything in these movies like could be considered you know like a lot of the gore like no matter how comical like i'm thinking of invasion of the blood farmers like Mm -hmm. that that was still like a that that movie was a fairly shocking idea and had shocking imagery for the time. So I mean, it's always hard for like us to put ourselves in the perspective. I mean, considering we've seen like fucking Taliban videos and fucking all kinds of awful shit that like I think definitely changes our our perspective and our compass on like what we think is like horribly offensive shit. But um, yeah, I mean, we've yeah, this will be the thirteenth and fourteenth movie we've done so far. And uh, I, I think for the uh, the majority of it, we've we've dealt pretty light sentences, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff is like, I did. It's it's hard to understand why it was on the list at all. Um, yeah, I think that yeah, like the love butcher is really the one that I have like the the biggest problem with for whatever reason. But um, I did like. I- I think that's another thing as well. Like the last couple of years, particularly, um, have been a, a degree of, and some people argue against it, but you know it's my show, so fuck it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really couldn't give a tiny rat's ass uh, at this stage, but you know, there's there's been, I would I would say, a marked level of um, social progression and improvement, where I just think we're very aware. Uh, acutely aware and at times hyper aware that you can still like make a really interesting horror movie without leaning into absolutely degrading and horrible tropes on women <laughs> you know what I mean yes it's totally fucking possible I'm not even saying you need to you need to follow the the kind of female empowerment kind of side or angle in your movie you don't at all you just don't have to have female characters that only ever speak about their boyfriends and their relationships. Um, so I mean, like, and, and when you're jumping back specifically to movies in the, the you know the seventies and early eighties, it's not a great time. <laughs> I mean, there are exceptions. We're going to be talking about one tonight where we have like what is widely considered maybe the first female. Uh, action star, like first proper female action star performance, and also the first um, prominent protagonist black female uh, 
uh, performance in a movie. So, I mean, like, Foxy Brown is a trendsetter and very much ahead of its time. It's probably why it was critically poorly received at the time. It was just maybe too much for people. Um, right. But then you, you can juxtapose that against the second movie we're going to discuss, uh, Night Beast. And it is just, it is dead behind the eyes. There's, like, there's nothing fucking, it's just nonsense. It's absolute fluff and nonsense, and there's a time and a place for that as well. So it's weird that we get these two completely, completely kind of contrasting levels of seriousness in the horror genre, doing completely different things with completely different budgets, um, and somehow they're tarred with the same brush on this list. You know what I mean? It's like, well, Foxy yeah. Brown and, and Night Beast. They need to both be on this list. Look at the synchronicity between these tales. Look at them. Look at them. They're the same. I just don't... I don't... I don't... It, it blows my mind how... I mean, I've never un- entirely understood how censors, like, consistently do what they do because there are plenty of examples out there of things making it their way through that I'm like, well, that wouldn't have made its way in this one. And it's all about context and... Anyone who has a job to monitor and police what they think people should be able to watch, I think that's a bad job. Um, it's like some, it's like, although uh, to be honest with you, it's like one of those ones that appears on like Lad Bible on Facebook or something like that. This company's offering six grand a month to drink beer, and I'm like, that sounds like an amazing job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I th- the part of me is also like, if someone said, "Duncan, we want you to just watch movies for the rest of your life, and we will pay you, and we just want your thoughts on whether or not they should be a twelve A or a fifteen or an eighteen um, right? I would probably take that job, Mark. But it doesn't mean I like people that have it. I don't like myself. But... Well, and that's like why I've always been really interested in like the the American rating system and the MPAA and kind of how they operate because they have good intentions mm-hmm. and I think that's why the rating system exists is because you don't want little kids and like even like older kids for some of the shit watching some of the shit. So the the rating system exists for a reason, but. Uh, when you overstep that and say that this movie is not suitable for any human consumption yeah. <laughs> and should be destroyed and taken away, that's way over crossing the fucking boundaries, especially of like in our country of the First Amendment of like free speech and like you should be able to make you know if nobody is like hurt and it's not you know like a fucking uh, you know I don't know the, 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 there's a, there's a whole there's a whole free speech argument mm-hmm. about a lot of this stuff and. Um, you know, it, it, it feels weird defending something like the Love Butcher and being like, <laughs> yes, these people should have been able to make this movie and tell the story that they wanted to tell and not be impeded by their fucking local government uh, confiscating copies of it and, you know, ru- ruining somebody's investment for sure. Like oh, yeah. People, I, I'm sure that, like, discouraged people from investing a lot of money into, like, these kind of movies is because... What if it just gets outright banned in every country and we can't sell any VHS copies of it? Like then you're fucked and you don't make your money back, basically. So, um, yeah, it's 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 nefarious government bullshit going on. Yeah, if you uh, object that, to something in a movie, then you have the right to verbalize it. That's the whole point. But you need to be able to see it to comment on it. You know yeah. what I mean? If you can't see it, you can't comment on it. And the fact that someone believes that in their opinion. Um, 
the 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 negative aspect of a movie is not worth discussion or debate. I think is nefarious. So, um, and I think that's that's where I, I kind of lean down on this. Um, I just it is weird that like because the the video nasty list had, was counterproductive. It ultimately gave movie fans a list of seventy two movies. <laughs> like, give them a shopping list. Um, yep. As soon as, you, as soon as you, you know what human psychology is like, as soon as you tell someone they can't or shouldn't do something, the first thing they want to do is do it. Um, yep. So that, that's kind of that's kind of what you end up with. And to be honest, a lot of these kind of the section three movies were released in the UK, and where you know it was, it was up to the discretion of the police whether or not they were confiscated people were still seeing movies like Suspiria you know what I mean like Suspiria's on the list but people were still watching Suspiria it's right. just it's just a case of you know if they're, yeah, and, you know if you're exercising good judgement about not having Last House on the left here maybe not have Night Beast on your shelf either um, alright thanks Mr Policeman it, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of it's that way it's, it is an interesting conversation and I dare say It'll be interesting in, like, say, seven episodes' time again, sitting down and saying, right, we are now, you know, <laughs> we are now 28 movies into this list. We are a quarter of the way through this motherfucker. Um, how are we feeling? Because, like I said last month, we've got a, a couple of really, like, classic genre movies lined up in the list before Christmas time. We're going to be covering some of the best, in my opinion, of of kind of late seventies and eighties horror, and I'm really looking forward to that as well. But we're once again have to put under this caveat of this was on a potential banned list. You know, what I mean, like someone looked at this movie and said, eh, "This is borderline," and I just, yeah. I just don't know. I just don't see it. I don't think humanity has, you know, uh, has the right necessarily on this sort of level to police. Itself, it's it's tantamount, you know, destruct like they were basically just rounding up these movies and burning them without the, the understanding and irony of the symbolism of mass burning of media, <laughs> like like just like the Beatles records. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> or when Kiss released that disco song. Um, so. <laughs> well, that was just because it sucked. <laughs> Right, man, we have two really interesting, completely different feeling movies to discuss on this show. As always, though, we're going to jump out and you're going to hear learned people from that documentary that I have uh, talking about this first movie, Foxy Brown, followed up by the trailer when myself and the phenomenal Mark Ball return. We're talking about, I think this might be the one and only Jack Hill movie on this list, which, I mean... I didn't even know Jack Hill had a video nasty movie, so that kind of makes me happy. Um, so we're going to come back and discuss a little bit of Foxy Brown right after this. Time to get on down with Foxy Brown. And I think it's a, there's almost a subgenre of Pam exploitation. She owned this genre of the tough, sexy chick who was pushed into taking vengeance against the bad guys who did something terrible to her man or her relative or her dog or whatever. I think we have to say that, that Jack Hill was one of the best directors of these type of films. So I think this is the best of the, the Jack Hill, Pam collaborations. It's the, the purest of them. It's simply, you know, long build-up, bad people do bad things, Pam gets annoyed, takes on the villains. There is a real, a weird mismatch in, in some scenes that makes me 
see why it would have irked the censors. It's mostly a kind of fun, reasonably light-hearted vigilante action picture where you're behind it. But there's this rather long, grueling scene where the heroine is drugged and sexually abused by rednecks, which pays off with a kind of yeah, a gruesome revenge sequence. But it goes on just a bit too long for the kind of fun exploitation film it is. You see this quite often in 70s films, uh, and you sort of want to see Pangria kicking ass. You don't really want to see her tied to a bed and being groped by a sweaty, bald, middle-aged, disgusting white guy, um, which there is a bit too much of in this before we get to the, um, the much more satisfying scenes in which she sets fire to these blokes. Otherwise, uh, this is you know, straight-up 70s action exploitation. I've no idea why this was signalled out apart from Friday Foster or Coffee or TNT Jackson or all the others as being the one that would be trawled for a, a video nasty. But, yeah, uh, it is slightly seamy, but it's not anything different from any one of a dozen other pictures. When Foxy Brown comes to town, all the brothers gather round. Cause she can really shake them down. Pam Greer, that one chick hit squad who creamed you as coffee, is back to do a job on the mob as Foxy Brown. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. That woman, she's crazy. There's no telling what she'll do. She's sweet brown sugar with a touch of spice. If you see a man anywhere, send him in because I do need a man. And murder if you don't treat her nice. Sounds like a public menace. Show sure do. Foxy's got guts. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. I better warn you, I got a black belt in karate. And I got my black belt in bar stools. She won't budge when she carries a grudge. I want justice for all of them whose lives are bought and sold so that a few big shots can climb up on their backs. Sister, I think what you're asking for is revenge. So there ain't no hope for dudes who deal dope. I swear, baby, I don't know what you're talking about. We're gonna kill ourselves a couple of niggas. No fear, Pam Greer is here as Foxy. Foxy Brown. And welcome back, ladies and gents. You just heard the trailer for Foxy Brown from 1974. This is written and directed by the great Jack Hill. Jack Hill's filmography is fucking ridiculous, right? Like, absolutely. I was like, because. One, I didn't realise that he'd done this. I knew he'd done coffee, but I didn't realise he'd done Foxy Brown. It had been many years, many, many years since I had seen uh, Foxy Brown. This is one that like goes way, way, way back for me. Um, but there was a, a time period there where he was just doing like amazing shit, whether that's like the like the Terror from 63 or Bloodbath, um, Coffee, Foxy Brown... Um, 
he did the the big dollhouse, which I think is early early seventies. Um, is Spider Baby the one he did? The Spider Baby, yeah. The Spider Baby okay. was sixty-seven. So, okay. like the dude had like just this affinity for 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 genre first and foremost, and he he got involved almost inadvertently with black exploitation, and Coffee was a huge fucking hit for him, like massive hit. That was seen as this kind of kind of the new crest of black exploitation cinema in the in the seventies, and. Originally, Foxy Brim was supposed to be Coffee 2. Um, and then things kind of... Jack Hill wasn't supposed to direct it. And then it went through all these different things. And eventually, it became Foxy Brown. And Coffee being a nurse, they had to change that, transition it. So Foxy Brown is, you know... Is, is kind of like a... Like, essentially, she is a prostitute. But she's on the higher end. Um, you know what I mean? She's a, she's a little bit high class. Escort, I believe, is the word we would use, not prostitute. Um, but let's let's give you some info on this one here. This is a great cast. We've got Pam Greer, Antonio Fargus, Peter Brown, Terry Carter, Catherine Loder, Harry Holcomb, uh, Sid Haig, uh, Juanita Brown, Sally Ann Stroud, Bob Miner, Tony Giorgio, Fred Lerner, uh, other folks. Synopsis for this one is a voluptuous black vigilante takes a job as a high-class prostitute in order to get revenge on the mobsters who murdered her boyfriend. Um, so she is assuming the role of a prostitute here because she's... What was she doing beforehand? She lives in an awfully nice house for a, a, a would-be prostitute. Well, she works with... A, a, here's, here's the thing that, like, that there's a good, like, 15... 20 minutes set up at the beginning of this movie before things really kick off I had always remembered once again we're going back years since I saw Foxy Brown for the first time um, and this time I loved the fact that I could finally break open my my Arrow, Arrow video Steelbook Blu-ray that I bought like four years ago <laughs> it's just sat in shrink wrap and I was like oh I can finally watch this movie now um, but she's I think she's like an offshoot of some government agency I kind of get this. Well, she hangs around cops a lot. But so, our, our boyfriend kinda... is a cop. Like our boyfriend's a cop who, I think, right? If, if unless I got this horribly wrong last night, our boyfriend gets uh he must have been undercover, and then he gets a face transplant or he gets plastic surgery or something. Yeah, facial reconstructive surgery to hide his identity, and they give him give him a whole new identity. Yeah, and then they find him and kill him. So she then goes undercover. Uh, as a prostitute, and they, to infiltrate the the gang, or infiltrate the people that are essentially facilitating the gang, to take them down. Um, and I remember the drug pushers and human traffickers. Exactly, yeah. But my like, and once again, I don't know if I'm conflating like coffee and and other movies of that ilk from this time period. But I had a distinct, like, clear, clear memory in my head that she did a whole lot of just ass-kicking throughout this entire movie. And she does kind of, but there's a whole section in the middle that we were talking about off here, which I could not fucking remember, where things basically become, you know, a kind of cross between Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I Spit in Your Grave, where she's knocked out and she wakes up in, like, ramshackle bumfuck America, right? Like physically restrained to her bed she's been injected a lot with heroin to get her addicted and the two fucking 
bumbling fucking hillbilly toothless motherfuckers who, who are looking after her are apparently just raping her like that's it. we don't see it but the insinuation is that is what is happening like there's a scene early on where she wakes up and she's she's like sees the drugs and all the rest and she tries to escape and this guy's just fucking with her he's just following in the background whips around the throat with a whip and then drags her back into the house and then she wakes up again more bruised more drugged out of tits. Um, you know, it's like... It's a whole section which tonally doesn't feel like it should be in this movie because everything up to that point is like, you know, who is woman who's gonna kick some ass right now? Foxy! <laughs> You're damn right. You know, literally, she like she's walking... A, she is manhandling people in this movie. Like, Pam Greer at, like... Let's put our cards on the table here massive crush on Pam Greer I think especially oh. 70s Pam Greer is hot as fuck and she's a great actress great leading lady um, she's she's got a really good timing in the way she delivers her lines um, she's she can be fun and quirky she can be super serious in this movie and I'm watching all this and I'm watching her mock the size of this guy's dick in one of the best scenes in the movie uh, <laughs> judge uh, she's like I totally, I totally want to have fun if I could find it and I'm like oh Oh, buddy, uh, abort the mission. Um, it's like it's, that's what you're like. Kind of the the setups are like, like that, right? And then all of a sudden it goes to, no, 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 in the middle. And I almost got like cinematic whiplash watching it. And we were once again speaking about this off here. I'm going to assume that's why it's on the list. It's not the stuff that yeah. happens before and not the stuff that happens after or even the language in the movie because a whole lot of M-bombs dropped in this movie. Um, I'm assuming it's the the you know implied rape and drug, like uh, forced drug intake. And, and it's, a, it's a long set. It's like 15 minutes in the middle. I, c- I can only assume that as a censor, you're watching everything up to this going, this is... This is a fun, quirky action movie. I hope she gets revenge. Oh, what <laughs> on the list? Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you I, like? We, we were speaking off air, and you were saying to me that you thought you had seen it, but you maybe have seen a few movies from this time period that, de facto, this was kind of like your first watch. I definitely saw either or, or and uh, this and this and coffee back in the blockbuster days. That, that's kind of the, the like. So, like, f- full reveal. Black exploitation is, I think, kind of a blind spot for me. I've I've seen like Dolomite and Shaft and Coffee, and now Foxy Brown. But the, the problem is, like, when you're working a blockbuster and you got like free, uh, free rentals to burn. There isn't like a black exploitation section. Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of weirdly placed around, like, kind of depending like on your store where you're gonna find that stuff at and. Um, yeah, this, this this was definitely pre-internet days. Well, I mean, sort of like it, it was it was very different back then. So you would find out about stuff like this very differently. And yeah, yeah I, re- I remember checking them out just because I think I'd like rented the entire horror section at this point. But uh, yeah, I didn't remember this movie very well. And 
Um, yeah, definitely the farmhouse scene is 100% why this is on the video <laughs> nasty list, because the rest of this, like, as far as objectionable content, you know, there's there's a couple shootings, there's, there's, there's some kung fu ass-kicking stuff. I fucking love the scene where she goes and trashes her brother's uh, girlfriend's apartment or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like in there weighing out fucking drugs and shit and he, her brother's such a fucking piece of shit rat in this movie that you just want something awful to happen to him <laughs> and, and yeah Pam Greer is such a fucking badass man she's just she's like flinging this fucking furniture and shit around like just, just to make a point she's gonna trash this fucking apartment and she's like tossing stuff around like it's nothing like fucking end tables and fucking like you know chests and shit like just fucking going crazy but uh yeah then we get to the we get to the fucking farmhouse scene and uh the the huge thing that this scene made me think of was pulp fiction yes but it would make a lot of sense uh, because tarantino ripped this fucking scene off like big time (laughs) especially when she finally gets the razor and she gets loose and we get like this like kind of long like quiet tracking shot where she's like getting up and like you know puts together the the fucking cat of nine tails out of coat hangers which (laughs) uh hello symbolism the fucking woman using the coat hanger as a weapon against the men who just raped her symbolism that's fucking amazing i love the fact that she's also like that's one weapon she's doing in between that she's siphoning petrol or gas as the Americans oh, call yeah. it into, into a container because she's just going to burn a motherfucker as well I mean it's like <laughs> set his ass on fire and she does and once again this is at a time period where if you set someone on fire a stuntman had to do that and that stunt is fucking jaw dropping because that guy yeah. does not look like he's like especially when you're watching it in high def these days the that guy does not look like he's wearing a very protective suit at all and he runs outside fully engulfed in flames for a good like 10 seconds he's waving around before he falls down that is fucking gnarly man they're in a woody old ass fucking shack <laughs> that's like it looks like it's got a low ceiling and there's a lot of like it legit looks like they took a bucket full of fucking gas and just threw it on this <laughs> yeah. guy there's a lot of fuel and it looks like it sets the building on fire a little bit so yeah it is kind of a scary fucking stunt. It's, it's like it's like uh, how much gasoline should we put on steve the stunt guy and jack hill sitting there going douse him <laughs> like, like, uh, it's like I don't know, like a bucket full, or whatever. <laughs> All of it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, like and they say, like, fucking such man. The, when when she hits the guy with the fucking coat oh, hanger, cat and nine tails, and it just it just rips his face like a fucking hunk of hamburger or something. <laughs> just like tears it like it's nothing. It's like oh my god, that's probably another reason that this ended up on there. It's, it's got one or two like fairly gory bits in it. Yeah. Uh, like uh, towards towards the end when she. Uh, catches up with the the dude like the it's it's like a dude and a chick running this like drug pushing human trafficking operation and uh yeah the the dude meets a meets a very untimely end or uh definitely a a certain part of him does for sure oh yes yes (laughs) fucking cut his dick off and put it in a jar and then hand deliver it to his uh his lady friend who recognizes it instantly that's love Uh uh-huh see if i ask corinne my wife of many years to describe what my (laughs) dick looks like i bet you she would fail 
if she had to pick it, pick it in a lineup <laughs> she of would like never... eight, eight other dicks in a jar, <laughs> she would ne- she be able to tell which one? Never in a million years. So the fact that she <laughs> knew, that's love right there, Mark. That's fucking love right there. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like some amazing facts about this movie. Like, uh, it's a different time period. 17 day shoot for this. All in. And That's not long at all. Yeah, not long. And they get a whole hell of a lot of fucking shit down here for that um, I mean it's it, tonally it's weird and like I say critically it didn't do well even though commercially it did it did bank I think this movie in original old ye timey American money cost like $500,000 at the time to make and brought in more than 2 million at the box office so it, it more than paid its money back for sure so from a studio point of view successful um, and this is a American International Pictures out, and so you know, so they, I mean, they were they were having success in the seventies anyway. Um, but commercially, not a lot of people really digging it, and that that's a bit that kind of has made me kind of smile on this one because of the two movies, Foxy Brown and Coffee, that you know really kickstart Pam Greer's career. Um, as you know, this kind of bitching leading actress uh, for black exploitation movies. Um, nowadays, Foxy Brown's probably the one that's more, you know, more looked back upon as being an influence. Certainly, in terms of kind of strong female characters, for the first and foremost. Um, but when I think about all those movies that we are getting subjected to these days. Um, the straight to Netflix like action movies with your Charlie Theron's or your your kind of the female equivalent of uh, John Wick and I can't remember the name of it and I actually really enjoyed that movie as well which is bad form. Um, we're getting all these kind of like like this woman goes undercover to do it like, and these are all basically rehashes of Foxy Brown just with better martial arts nowadays you know better action scenes so it's bec- it stood the test of time weirdly. In a way which I don't think critically at the time people could see that happening. And obviously, you know, it had a massive impact on Tarantino, uh, both this coffee and a lot of Pam Grier's other work. You never had Jackie Brown, which I still to this day attest is his best movie. I think Jackie yeah. Brown was fucking like, front to back, like that, that masterpiece. But you don't get, I don't think you get that without, you know, without his clear love of movies like Foxy Brown, which I imagine, Mark, he, very much like yourself, watched in a blockbuster. Yep. So He's a video store boy. Yeah, he was indeed. All three of us are the same, so I like to think we're all equally successful, Mark. Because um, we're the same. <laughs> we're all the same. We either knew or were forced out of that line of work at some point. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've gone, gone on to greener pastures. Yeah. I, I still wish the video stores kind of existed, yeah. but so I, so it goes. Yeah, I got. I think I got out just in time. <laughs> yeah. wow. uh, like a couple of years before that everyone was like, oh, shit, <laughs> like the Titanic, it's going to sink. Um, I, I, I got it just before. But, yeah, I mean, coming back to this, I think it's a great fucking movie. I think it does suffer a bit with the tone in the middle. Like I say, that scene is... That whole sequence, that 15-minute sequence, is clearly why it ended up on the the kind of nasty list, from my opinion, anyway. But round it, it's just... It's a well-shot, well-acted... It's great to see a really young Sid Haig pop up. For like he's like yeah, he's great in this. He's he's so charming and just like he's he's 
He's really walking the line between like really charming and really skeezy because yes. you you know that's that's, that's, just, that's like his whole shtick. I, I I love the man and I miss him. Yeah, it's weird because I've been uh, obviously we've been doing the summer series over on uh, podcasts under the stairs, so I've obviously like Rob Zombie's two Sid Haig movies are are, oh, are yeah. on that two thousand list, so I've had to rewatch them recently, and it's weird just going back and seeing them as this you know charming. You know, well put together, young guy, because like the the way he ultimately ends up his career is on the other end. It's you know, a nasty fucking piece of work. So yeah, it's, I mean, it, front to back, I, I really enjoyed Foxy Brown. I think it's it's one of those movies that you know I, I go through small waves of kind of wanting to sit down and do a lot of kind of black exploitation, just in general exploit exploitation from the seventies. I've got a weird like a little kind of affinity for that work and coming back to it was it was a was a ton of fun for sure um any final thoughts on this one before we give it a grade no i i agree i i think this is probably one of the best movies on definitely one of the best movies we've done so far oh definitely i, I, would, I would rank this like right up there with hills have eyes like this is uh uh, yeah, this is like a, one of these things is not like the other. This, <laughs> this is could not be any more different of a movie than fucking Night Beast for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I was I was really stoked to watch this because, like I said, black exploitation and like kung fu and samurai movies and like it seems like a lot of stuff from like the sixties and seventies. Uh, there's a lot more in those decades that I haven't seen, so I was, I was happy to check this one off the list. And uh, whenever we get done, if we're still alive three and a half years after this, if you ever want to start a fucking black exploitation and kung fu double feature <laughs> podcast, I, I'm super down for that because that would be an opportunity to check a lot of these movies off the list. You know, sold and sold. Let's do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it Soul and Sword. I love it. The, the, the... <laughs> There we are. See, see how I did that. I linked it yeah. right in. Oh, uh, right. Um, in terms of grade for this one, I mean, yeah, there is that gnarly bit in the middle, um, but it's surrounded by a lot of kind of jive talking seventies action, which I appreciate. I mean, there's some sexual violence in here for sure, um, but not. I mean. I will, my, my my gut says I want to just do like a good old fashioned case dismissed but I do recognise the implication of that middle section is a bit darker but I, you know this is not serving any time I think this is a like this is a slap on the wrist for me I think it can't get any more than a slap on the wrist just to remind our listeners out there our grades are hard time for the really bad shit community service for the not so bad but still bad shit slap on the wrist for the we see what you did there you're kind of you're, you're, you're touching a line here just don't go over it and uh, a case dismissed for there is absolutely nothing bad about this at all go forth and be free um, what, what about yourself what, what are you thinking some slap on the wrist where are you coming in this is definitely a slap on the wrist I think maybe it's not a terrible thing to especially for modern day audiences to kind of warn them about you know the 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 fucking chicken farm scene it's not chicken farm i don't know what the heck i, I keep forgetting they, they, they have a name for it but uh yeah the, the, this movie to quote indiana jones belongs in a museum this is so of its time and like 
just just so so subversive and like uh, I, I, I think has really strong historical context, especially relating to the 70s. I, I was reading on the Wikipedia, this was actually criticized at the time for its, like, portrayal of, like, the heroine being willing to become a prostitute and, like, uh, the, its portrayal of drug use and stuff. Like, people gave this movie a hard time back in the day, and I actually think this is, like, has a lot to say and is very much an anti-drug movie uh, and, like, is, is, is a total fucking, like, milestone in female empowerment movies, for sure. Like, Pam Greer could not whip any more ass if she tried, <laughs> and you can't help but fall in love with her, yeah. like, ten minutes into this fucking thing. So, uh, yeah, th- this is a little slap on the wrist, because this does get surprisingly nasty in the middle, but, uh, other than that, uh, this is movie. This, this doesn't belong in the fucking list. <laughs> agreed. It really doesn't. Agreed and agreed. Right, let's go from something, something kind of awesome, to something kind of <laughs> different, Mark. Something kind of different. Uh, right, we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear people talk about the reasons, uh, justifications, and a bit of information behind 1982's Night Beast. You then hear the trailer. Myself and Mark are going to be back to discuss that movie right after this. Okay, so here's Night Beast by Don Dola. Actually, one of the earliest examples of a director who came from the fan tradition of horror. Before he became a filmmaker, he had his own film magazine called Cinemagic. And he was a devotee of the famous monsters of Filmland, wrote a great deal about monster movies and was obviously very, very passionate about monster movies and made the move from an interest in special effects and an interest in other people's movies as a fan and a writer into uh, making his own movies. Made, you know, for, you know, beer and cigarettes, basically, in Baltimore for just a, a tiny amount of money, but with a great deal of creativity and a lot of love for the genre. He's also somebody who understands that if you're going to make a monster movie, show the bloody thing. Don't waste time. Don't spend 45 minutes with people chit-chatting away before you finally let the thing peek its nose around the corner of the camera. Show it. And the great thing about Night Beast is that within within two or three minutes, it's attacking people, ripping people's guts out, and having a laser gunfights with the local constabulary. It's great. For the first 20 minutes, it's monster, monster, monster all the way. Now, this is something that I wish a lot of monster movie makers would learn. It doesn't matter how cheap your monster is. It doesn't matter how shabby or homemade it looks. The worst thing you can do is hide it, because everyone's come to see it. So, you know, why get coy? Uh, all the best monster movies, no matter how tacky or unlikely their monsters look, are the ones that push it to the front. You know, and if you've got the balls to do that, then you gain an awful lot of kudos and a lot of credit. And Dola, you know, God bless him, he understood that. You know, he really puts the monsters out there. And as drama, the films are rudimentary. There's not a great deal of complexity. There's nothing to tax you. There's no subplot or no uh, subtext or anything to think about. But if you love monster movies, he delivers. He knows how to play the game. The, the monster itself, well, it, it might not have any movable parts, but you still, it looks great. You know, it's got more teeth in it than it knows what to do with. It's got these little piggy eyes that just sort of like are hilarious. And you know, just it's sort of like the whole thing just looks fantastic. The design is made by John Dodds, who probably at the peak of his uh, skills created the monsters in The Deadly Spawn. Almost on a similar basis. I mean, uh, you know, again, teeth everywhere that was obviously a thing with him you know it's got a lot of charm and um considering that it was made uh, for, for peanuts um it functions very very well as a, a fun piece of work 
if you're very familiar with the films of John Waters, it's amusing to see George Stover turn up in, in all of them, always playing kind of concerned local citizens in uh, the Dolo films. He plays straight man as a character in Female Trouble as well. But the films were made in Baltimore in Maryland. So it's, it's often amusing to think that Don Dola and John Waters in the 1970s and late 1970s were making their films kind of almost in the same little bits of scrub woodland around the edge of Baltimore. You know, so maybe just if you would pan the camera to the right in one of Don Dola's films, you'd see Divine, you know, making out on a mattress, you know, in female trouble. Or, uh, you know, if you kind of move in the other direction during one of Waters' films, you'll see some giant insectoid sort of rubber monster lurching around in the trees because they're working at the same time in the same place. Um, but apart from that, very different sensibilities. I mean, obviously, Waters has a satirical and, and comic sensibility, and Don Dola is as straight as the day is long. You know, there's, there, there's irony doesn't exist in Don Dola's films. I mean, Night Beast... I suspect ended up on the Section 3 list because within the first 10 minutes there is a fairly graphic disemboweling. Again, I doubt seriously whether or not uh, the police watched the whole film. They probably just watched as far as the first 10 minutes and thought, OK, that's all we need to know. Somebody gets loops of intestine pulled out of their stomach by a monster. But, you know, that's all they care about is a bit of, a bit of splatter and that was enough. Um, as far as, 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 far as uh, sex is concerned, it very rarely rears its head in Dola's films. I mean, in his first film, Alien Factor, there's virtually no sexual element at all. Here, I think somebody's probably had a little word in his ear and said, you know, Don, the films might distribute a little better if you just include a little bit of TNA. So there are a couple of nipples visible here and there, and a, a, a few of the girls take their tops off. But the thing is, it's a lot harder to get your friends and neighbours to take their tops off in your film than it is to get some girl from a casting agency to come and take her top off. And I think that's why the, the, the Dola films don't have sexual content. It's because he's making it with the guy down the road that you know runs the hardware store that he sees every day. You can't ask his daughter to take her top off, can you? <laughs> so, you know, that's, that, I, mean, I, that's, I suspect that's why they're sexually a little repressed, you know, because it's just uh, socially kind of difficult. From another galaxy from another world comes the embodiment of fear. What the hell was that? Night Beast, terror from beyond. A high-tech warrior from a distant planet. A killing machine with a taste for human flesh. A community abandoned in a code of silence. Wicker never even called the state. They don't even know we have a bad situation here. A love affair. You know, you're a very attractive girl, Lisa. Two people brought together by the urgency of the moment. Two people torn apart by the savage fury of Night Beast. I'm sorry, Jamie. There was nothing that could be done. The most vicious creature to ever span the intergalactic void has come to pay its respects. This is the story of how the little people answer the big questions. See the movie, 
that will change the face of modern science fiction cinema. Night Beast, terror from beyond. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Night Beast. Ooh, from 1982. This is directed by Don Dollar um, and uncredited Dave Getty. It's written by Don Dollar. And the movie itself has a cast that comprises Tom Griffith, Jamie Zamaral, Karen Carradin, uh, George Stover, Don Leafier, oh dear, uh, Anne Frith, <laughs> Eleanor Herman, Richard Dreisel, uh, Greg Dollar, I'm imagining probably related, um, Kim Pfeiffer, uh, who's credited in here as Kim Dollar, maybe again, maybe slightly related, I don't know. Uh, synopsis for this one is a creature from outer space crash lands in small town and starts killing people. Yes. That's that's right. This movie... That's it. That's the story. That is literally the story. This movie's saving grace is this one is an hour and 20 minutes and they do not bother elongating the start out for this creature to arrive. This creature is down on the ground and causing all manner of fuckery within five minutes and I will tip, <laughs> I will tip my cat to you, filmmaker, for doing exactly what the people want, keeping it short... Uh, Mark, had you seen Night Beast before? No, I, I had heard of this, uh, and Don Doler is a name that it definitely comes up around uh, people talking about bad cinema. Re- regional to, to Maryland, uh, here in the States, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of heard of this. I, I, I remember the box art. This one has a couple different VHS releases, I think, and uh, people seem to well, people that like schlocky cult movies seem to like this one quite a bit. Uh, I, I know Doug Tilly was real excited that we were getting to talk about this one today, and um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd never seen this. This is a this is a really goofy movie, and I feel like uh, Don Doler kind of directs his. I, I can't remember if I've seen any of his other movies, but just based on this one, I get the impression that he directs movies kind of the way like an eleven year old would. <laughs> It's like, all right, uh, your your super basic plot, and he's made this movie twice. Apparently, I'll look up here in a moment what the other one is called. I kind of forget, but um, he, uh, yeah, the two movies where basically an alien crash lands out in the woods and then fights a bunch of rednecks, and uh, that that's the whole plot. So you get that, you get your uh, you get your your monster suit guy. It's a super basic, like somebody probably got paid for the weekend to make the makeup effects for our, our principal creature, the, the, the titular night beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, you basically just hire like your friends and like uh, people from local community theater type shit to play your cast and they stand around and do stuff and occasionally get their fucking heads ripped off and you get some boobs in there in the middle and you got yourself a movie. <laughs> You have yourself a movie, Mark. That's you right. Yourself a movie. I, I mean, there was a lot of it that reminded me of a slightly better put together, but still infinitely schlocky, uh, Blood Farmer. You know, the Blood Farmer invasion of Blood. Farmer. I, I kind of had a vibe about that, where I was like, "Are these actually actors, or are these people that they've they've just cloned in for a, a case of beer?" Um, yeah, right, this was a first watch for me. I had never heard of this before. Like, so I know some people have been getting a little bit giddy 
Uh, I think our buddy Tony Case, who also has a, a video nasty kind of web series that he does on YouTube, um, and they're doing the Section 3 stuff at the moment as well, it was kind of excited, I want to say. I might be wrong. I might be painting you in the wrong light here, Tony, if I am. I apologise, but I have a vague memory of when we announced this last month, you being excited about this. Um, it's fun. It's fun and it's quick, right? That is literally that. Those are my two positive notes for this movie. It's fun and it's quick. Out with that, I I, I would be struggling to say that I found much more to mine out this. I think the acting is a degree of kind of hokey that at times was completely charming, at other times was painful. Um, like, some of the motivations of the characters were fucking ridiculous. Like, made zero... I understand they live, once again, in small-town America, but just, like, there was no rhyme or reason for why people are doing things the way they do them. Um, I didn't actually even... Like, I, I first thought I was going to really like the score, because in a lot of these movies, I recently went through the Norman J. Warren box set, and he's got a couple of movies on this list, and he's got a movie... <laughs> he's got a movie called Prey, which is the kind of... Euro sex version of what what this movie is, where an alien just tries to fuck people to death. Yeah, uh, it's fucking great. Yeah, like, and when you listen to the the score and pray, right, you're getting this weird synthy shit and all that, and I'm like that. So like, Night Night Beast is going to have at least at a bare minimum one of those cool fucking obscure bitching synthwave scores that you listen to and you go, oh, this shit right here, and it scores pretty shit. Um, the, the creature design at times looks like money's been spent on it. At other times, looks like you know no one's spent anything on it. You know, like <laughs> like this. You know, like they're like well, we've ran out of budget for here. Just just use a pen, color and pen. It's just it's really not great. Some of the death sequences are surprisingly fun. Like really, really, really fun to watch, but. I mean, it finished, and I was one surprised it had flown in as quick as it had. But I, I, I was kind of sitting there going, "I've seen." Now you're saying Don Dollar's made this movie technically twice. Hollywood's made this movie about a million times, and I will tell you right now, um, most of them are better than Night Beast. <laughs> like, I mean, this is this coming the same year as the fucking thing. Yeah, but this was made for a fraction of what that, un- the, that other I movie understand. is called Alien Factor. I thought I looked that up. Uh, I understand. A couple years. I understand that, but what I'm saying is, in the same year, we're getting arguably the best science fiction horror of all time. We have Night Beast. No, you're not wrong. We're getting we're getting Night Beast. I just, I, I mean, I, I see it for what it does, and you can clearly tell that everyone's having a bit of fun doing this on the copy that I watched because I couldn't source this legally in the UK um, because I've got a sneaky suspicion this may have never been released in the UK uh, with its original VHS run um, it, it come it came up at the beginning that uh, did Troma release this? Yes. Right, that makes 100% sense where like, Troma were doing that weird distribution thing that they did for a while where they were just like yeah we'll put your movie out as long as we can advertise 17 Troma titles before it and they'll all be Sergeant Kabuki Man. Um, it's a, it, I don't know. I, I wanted to, like, there isn't anything in mind out this movie where I was like, apart from the weird and wonderful facts, which 
like go to the IMDb, click on the facts page and start reading some of these because some of these will blow your mind. Like specifically the top one here, which is this is the first screen credit of J.J. Abrams. Yep. This is where J.J. starts. year old J.J. Abrams wrote the fucking score to this movie. This is where they started. And I'm like that. I, I am constantly going to place talking about how I think J.J. Abrams might be in equal parts not great but amazing like he's he, at times he does things that I think are just like borderline genius in cinema and there are times I just don't get why we have so much lens flare just don't understand yeah, it JJ yeah. just don't understand it but I heard that when I read that fact it's like oh what did he do and then I realised it was a score that I didn't really like um, so I was like oh um, the, the, my favourite thing of all the things in here is the final bit of trivia which it says gives away important plot points it doesn't really it says the humans still fire guns and rifles at the night beast long after they've learned that bullets don't harm it. So, <laughs> so it's just as well that their firearms have an unlimited number of rounds with never reloading. <laughs> because it's true. Yeah, this is some snarky <laughs> trivia writing. It's true though, there's a bit where someone opens fire and I'm like that. Is, is there a man like at the side of him holding a chain of bullets here? It's like that scene from fucking Hot Shots, but the, you know, where he's shooting and like the camera eventually turns around and Charlie Sheen's covered in bullets up to his tits. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so many shots here, but there is a bit, there is a specific point to realise, and I had never thought of it until I read that and then made me laugh quite a bit, um, that bullets don't do anything to it, but they you know, keep firing assholes. <laughs> it's just like. It's, it's like in the, the old, you know, B-movies of the 50s where there's a giant grasshopper coming at you yep. and they'd spend 90 minutes shooting it with guns and bombs that do absolutely nothing. It's kind of like that. Um, Karen, Karen Carradine was the hairdresser of Don Dolorzant. The distributor wanted some nudity added to the film, as all distributors do, by the way. They're like, can we get some tits in there? Uh, so yeah. Don had to approach his aunt's hairdresser and ask her to shoot an added nude scene. He says that in the DVD commentary, he found this a very awkward situation, and understandably so. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is my aunt's hairdresser. And now I can... see your tits today. Yeah, nice. <laughs> this is great. This is, why I, this is why I get up and pack up my camera in the morning. Um, it's just like weird things like that yeah I mean I didn't hate this movie right I didn't hate this movie by any stretch of the imagination but I will never watch Night, Night Beast again I think that's, to me this is the epitome of the one and done like I've watched it uh, it was surprisingly entertaining and fun in parts but it is full of a whole host of things that irritate me and that I have seen done so much better in movies with similar premises in or around the years this one was made like in or around 82 there's tons of them so I mean that's that's my that's all I have to say Mark I don't know if there's anything you want to tag on to the back of my review in either defence or further condemnation of Night Beast I, I think I had a little bit more fun with this one than you did. It mm. was uh, it was low budget cheesy fun. It was it, I, I would call this inspired low budget filmmaking. They I think were a lot more, and you get this a lot where they wanted to do a lot more but didn't have the money to do it, and they were you know probably relatively new filmmakers and were, were sort of inept in what they were doing. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. It's, it's dopey fun. It's got, I think it's got enough going for it. Like as far as like you know, interesting kills 
and I, I, I think the the creature effects when when they're shot right, they can they can be fun. When it just looks like a dude in a suit, it's pretty rough. Like they probably should have gone the gone the route of something that really kind of shoots around it a little bit better. But um, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised if I clicked on trivia and it said creature and creature effects and design by the team that brought you Rawhead Rex. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of yeah, it's it's the dude in the suit, like which yeah we've seen. In a million other movies, to to, to make the one uh, mystery science theater reference, this movie reminded me a lot of one called Track of the Moon Beast, which was a late 70s, like almost the exact same kind of thing. Uh, it also felt like it was directed by an 11-year-old. Um, <laughs> no, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I think this is a cheesy, like, get everyone together for beer and kind of heckle a movie kind of thing. It's... It, it, it's Rel- relatively harmless i like i don't like this, this is uh, if it, it falls into the like weird category too of like movies that i think you you wanted like 11 and 12 year old boys to rent at the video store mm. even though it's got like some some boobs and some blood that that was a little bit more for like the the theater going experience when you want your your theater crowd to have a good time especially back in the day you gotta have lots of blood and boobs and like you know it'd be like like a crowd pleaser kind of but uh, also, that translated really well to the early days of VHS, when uh, an 11 or 12 year old could get away with renting something like this, or you know, Faces of Death, or fucking Cannibal <laughs> Holocaust and shit like that. Before they started getting banned and stuff, but um, yeah, I I, I I enjoyed this a lot, and I like little regional movies like this where you get the impression that like they got everybody's, you know, you, we we gotta get grandma on the movie. We need an old lady for this shot, you know. Yeah. It's 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 like a you know a, a group project like that they're doing out of love. This the budget on this was fourteen thousand dollars, which I would not be surprised if a good chunk of that went to the monster suit and fake blood and building the ship at the beginning that burns up and doing the optical effects of like compositing the ship into the space and like later when they get electrocuted those were really really expensive special effects at the time so i think that's where most of the budget yeah there's a cheeky there's a cheeky hundred dollars going to the hairdresser who took her top off uh yeah yeah (laughs) that has to be has to be should have saved it for a better movie than this one because yeah i'm sure you didn't get paid more than the fucking hundred bucks uh, so some interesting stuff about Don Doler. He got to start doing like comics and illustration stuff. Mm-hmm. He had a mad. This is straight off the Wikipedia, so I don't know if you know this is all super factual. We will see uh, it as for the purposes of this show. We'll, we'll say it is in 1961. At the age of 15, Doler started a Mad magazine style fanzine called Wild. Uh, Mad had Alfred E. Newman as a mascot, so Dollar uses middle school creation called Pro Junior as Wild's mascot. And Wild's peak, it had con- contributors such as Jay Lynch, Art Spiegelman, and Skip Williamson, who later went on to be famous in the underground comics movement of the late 60s and early 70s. In the early 70s, Jay Lynch and Art Spiegelman were fooling around and they started drawing Wild's mascot, Pro Junior, again, but this time in a leopard skin leotard. Robert Crumb saw Pro Jr. and decided to draw a comic about him. As a result, Lynch rounded up 22 underground comic artists, including Dollar, to draw their own interpretations of Pro Jr., which is published by Kitchen Sink Press in a comic in 1971. Uh, he also wrote, uh, or he started a magazine called Cinemagic, which is basically like the precursor 
to Starlog, kind of, or they got bought out by Starlog, which is like the sci-fi sister magazine to Fangoria that started all these fucking years ago now, like mid to late 60s, early 70s. Uh, well, Fangoria and Starlog came in like late, late 70s, but uh, yeah, ran for 11 issues, and uh, that's how he came to know J.J. Abrams. I think he saw stuff about it in that, that he was shooting a movie in Maryland. I think J.J. Abrams is a Maryland boy, too, so... Uh, they, yeah, that's, that's how those, those two came together. He's, he's written two books too about special effects. One of them's about stop motion animation. So now I'm kind of, you're on that, like, you're on that, like a motherfucker right now. That's, that's me right now. (laughs) Pick that fucker up and see, like, you know, it's, that's a beautiful thing is like the technique and stuff. The technology has changed, but the technique hasn't changed at all since Mm -hmm. like all the way, you know, back before even these guys back the Harryhausen days. So. Uh, I'm kind of curious to pick that up, and yeah, I, I kind of just love stuff like this, you know, little little low budget stuff that's done out of love that is, you know, not not great, but you know, ha- has enough going for it that I think is an enjoyable group watch kind of. Nice, nice. Right, let's uh, well, let's bring it in with our grade at the end here. I mean, this is a case dismissed for me. I don't know if you disagree but there isn't anything in here that I felt was on the level of the implied sexual violence and just you know the cat and nine tail razor <laughs> played in Foxy Brown um, so yeah t- to me this is a case dismissed are you in the same boat here or are you going for something a bit harder well I was really worried it, towards the middle with the scene the, the biker guy I mm. forget what the hell his name is Bruno or Barry or Bob or something. Uh, there is a little bit of violence against women, and I got real worried because uh, these things uh, become real fucking gross when handled by inept filmmakers, mm-hmm. like as seen in some of our previous movies we've watched for this list. And uh, the uh, this movie doesn't wallow in it. I think is what makes the big difference. They imply it, they get in like they, you know, it's kind of the same with Foxy Brown. It like. It's just gross enough to get the point across, but doesn't like beat you over the head with it and go on and on and just like sit in the shit basically. So um, that was about the only point in this movie where I was like, oh God, we're dipping into fucking gross territory here. And thankfully it doesn't really quite go, it doesn't go real far with it. So um, yeah, this is, this is probably case dismissed out of me too. This is pretty harmless fun in my opinion. Nice. Right. Ladies and gents, that's another two movies then. We are going to take a very short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. And then when we return, we're going to tell you what we're going to be back with in one month's time. Well, technically just shorter than a month. I'm aware that this episode has dropped a little bit late, so we will make up time on the back end. Trust me, it's a long month anyway. August is a long month, um, but not too long that you'll have to wait ages before you find it. What the next two movies are, we'll be back to tell you right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com. The Psychosemantic Podcast. And you've been listening to Doing the Nasty. This has been episode number seven of season two mark 
How did you feel about this month's episode? These were all right. Uh, Foxy Brown, like I said, I think is one of the best things we've watched on this show on this show so far. Uh, Night Beast was interesting, not definitely not like one of the best things we've watched on this show. But I, I, it, I didn't hate it. I had a pretty good time with it, in fact. So I'm gonna count that as a win. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Even the fact that I was, I was kind of leaning more towards the. The fact I was leaning more towards, you know, Night Beast not necessarily being of the same level, so to speak. Oh, uh, hell no. As the other one, it still was a, a, an easy double billing. Like, some of these ones have been excellent in some capacity where you get through it and you're like, yay, you know, they, we've got these two movies to watch and they'll sound really interesting and you get through that second movie and you're just like, oh, why won't it end? Um... But in the, in the terms of this one, I personally felt that both had their strengths, whether it was Foxy Brown's like really kind of engaging story and you know great casting and whatnot. But Night Beast as well is a quick watch, which like trust me, in this day and age, like we watched what was it last month the the uh, the nesting. Which had some really interesting things in it. That movie felt like it was on forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you jump into this one, and it's maybe not as polished um, as the you know the other movies were watched. But I'll tell you this right now: it fucking flew in, and it was entertaining enough. So I mean, there's a level of where you've just got to you know, suck it up and say you can't win them all, Mark. But what you can do is get the occasional month on this show if we can, every now and again, where things kind of all come together and you get at least a bit of entertainment. And that's that's kind of how I feel. I, I, I kind of yeah. feel we did all right on this one. There has been better uh, show lineups thus far and there will be better in the future. But this is by nowhere near any stretch of the imaginations one of the worst shows that we've done thus far. And guess what? It's going to keep on getting funky because <laughs> uh, next time I was going to say next month it's not next month uh, we, we are we are finally we're finally doing things that make me happy um, we are going to be doing a little movie called The Executioner from 1975 this one goes by a myriad of other names Permission to Kill I believe is the American name but also goes under the name Massacre Mafia style which Okay. I think that's what it's on on the uh, the YouTube playlist. Is that one is Massacre Mafia style? Yep. So this is directed by Cyril Frankel. Um, Frankel, <laughs> such a funny surname. Um, so the synopsis for this one is: Western intelligence agents try, by all means necessary, to prevent a communist bloc defector from leaving the West in his bid to return home and lead an uprising. Once again, like in terms of the sort of stuff we've watched thus far, this does not feel like it should be on the list. However, I am one hundred percent down with some, you know, communist block terrorism movie. So yeah, it's a change of pace. I'm looking forward to it. We are pairing it up with a movie that couldn't get any more exploitative if it tried. It is time to welcome to uh, doing the nasty season 2 the great and powerful Umberto Lenzi I've been waiting for this so fucking much oh 
Yeah, we're doing Nightmare City, which I also... Ah. Oh, it's, it's about time, Mark. It's about fucking time. Uh, Nightmare City also goes under the name City of the Walking Dead, because why not? Um, the synopsis for this one... <laughs> It's a personal fave, by the way. An aeroplane exposed to the radiation, uh, exposed to radiation lands, and blood-drinking zombies emerge armed with knives, guns, and teeth. They go on a rampage, slicing, dicing, and biting their way across the Italian (laughs) countryside. If Mario was here, Mark, he would say, Mamma mia! Uh, so, yeah. That's a great fucking description of that movie. That's the fucking greatest synopsis ever, and it's lensy, so you know what that means. Every other shot's going to be an extreme eye close-up. Like, yeah. that man loves to zoom in on faces, and I love to watch him zoom in on faces. Uh, this is later-day lensy as well, in terms of... Not, not overall, his career is in 1980, so this is... Um, he's done all his Jallo stuff, and he's cannibals. This will be the same year as... This is the year before Ferox, then. Because um, it must be the year before Ferox, because Ferox is 1981. So this is in between uh, Eating Alive and Cannibal Ferox. He does this little movie. Because why not? When you're on better lens, you can do whatever the fuck you want. So <laughs> it, dude, it's going to be a riot, man. Could be an absolute it's a, it's a, another show where, yeah, like the two movies don't sound like they have fucking anything to do with each other. Like, couldn't could not be more different. The fucking Italian splatterhouse movie and the communist terrorist movie. I yeah. guess I I don't really know what to expect with that other one. I don't know what we're getting ourselves into because I assume there's got to at least kind of be a reason it's on this list. So man, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. It'll be. One movie I know is fucking badass and one that'll probably be a complete surprise. Well, let me update you, having done further research, Mark. It turns out that Permission to Kill is not the same movie. I have done I've done further research because I was like, that doesn't sound at all like it should be on the list. So in one of these weird Duncan fucked up moments, but is too lazy to edit out, we'll just play into this joke. Uh, Massacre Mafia style is from the year before 1974. And it's a different movie entirely. And actually, when you see the front cover, I know exactly why it was banned. <laughs> it's a fucking whole lot of people hanging. Um, Massacre Mafia style, a.k.a. Like Father Like Son, is directed by Duke Mitchell. And the synopsis, this makes more sense, Mark, so bear with me. It says, Mimi Michelli Jr. is the son of a mafia don who's exiled back to Sicily. He wants to get back into the family business and transplant it from New York to Hollywood after the kidnapping for ransom of a West Coast, ma- West Coast Mafia boss Mimi is back in the life with the blessing of a local clan Mimi attempts to take down a Hollywood pimp named wait for it Super Spook who turns out to be no easy Mark this sounds amazing this wow. sounds this is going to be movie of the week next mark it in your diaries Massacre Mafia style aka The Executioner is going to be our movie of the month Fuck Nightmare City. I've never flip-flopped on a movie so hard and so quick <laughs> in my entire life. Uh, yeah, so it, it turns out that The Executioners, as an alternative title, is also Permission to Kill, but when you dig into it further, Massacre Mafia still came out the year before, so it must be this movie. 
Jesus Christ, that's convoluted. I'm, I'm glad you clarified this for us, because, yeah, there's a lot of this. We're, we're having to dig into the, the, the stickier, grosser parts of the internet to find these movies. So. Yeah, plus we're in different... Like, we're in different parts of the world. What some movies were named here are completely named differently where you are. All, you yep. only have to take into case in point something like Bay of Blood in the UK or Twitch of the Death Nerve in America where you clearly won out on that one <laughs> or High Tension in America or Switchblade Romance where we clearly won out on that so yeah you got the better one there so there we go so yeah that is that is our movie that we will be doing um, or movies we'll be doing in a couple of weeks time uh, until then as always go forth check out the stuff that we're putting out Podcast Under the Stairs is about to start doing a ton of 2000 era movie content uh, with our summer series which kicks off in earnest by the time this episode drops the first episode will be out for that over on the Podcast Under the Stairs feed so check that out as always check out the other shows on the Teapots Collective whether that's Chronicle which is returning back this month with the final chapter of our look at British folk horror movies um, or whether it is Opera Omnia which is maybe one episode away now from finishing our look at the movies of Ben Wheatley or while you're at it why not check out a little of Where to Begin with Jalo which is halfway through its look at Jalo cinema giving you recommendations of what to check out to broaden your love of it Mark Ball is a busy man as well as appearing on the summer series you do some fun stuff online tell people where they can check it out uh, if you want to look at my nerd shit, like pictures of toys and uh, toy photography and comics and records and gardening uh, and pictures of my cat, uh, that's uh, the Instagram. That's fancy underscore mark. I just hit twelve hundred followers over the weekend. Uh, Boom! Trying to yeah, it's eight hundred to go to two thousand, and there's not much year left, so we're, we're gonna try. Uh, had a great couple of weeks as far as uh, new toy stuff coming out uh, loads cool... you've been posting shitloads of stuff yeah lots of cool ninja turtles fucking gi joe's killing it right now uh we got we got a new jason figure coming out by the end of the year neck is gonna put out the new the new blood part seven mm-hmm. I've, 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 i rearranged my shelf and i realized that all of the fucking jason figures that i've bought from these guys and other companies take up like a quarter of my fucking collection here so <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I guess that's about it. The, obviously, the letterbox, fancy mark or fancy underscore mark. I forget which one. Uh, follow follow me there. I think that's about it. Oh, I'll, I'll be on an episode of Psycho Semanticast. We're recording next weekend, so that should probably be out here in the next couple weeks. Nice. Um, yeah, other than that, definitely check out the summer series. I got both my episodes recorded. That was a blast i'm really glad i made it through all the homework that was like the hardest part i think for me was being like all right we gotta fucking suck it up and sit out and watch martyrs now so uh yeah we just, we just got the round tables to record for that but yeah i'm really uh, everybody put a fucking ton of work into that yeah. thing so please go check it out listen to it give us some feedback on it and uh this is the yeah. first the first year that we've done any of these where I genuinely couldn't tell you what I think will be the top five movies at the end of the process. I've I've a yeah. feeling I know what maybe one or two of them will be, um, and I know what's in my top five for the decade. But having now done the episodes and realizing that everyone's tastes vary so different um, on certain things, I genuinely could say hand on heart I don't know what's going to make the the final cut and I think 
It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. It's going to be different. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to, to finally putting them out. Some of those were recorded like two months ago. Um, so I'm looking forward to finally putting them out and uh, seeing see where we end up with them and getting onto those round tables, uh, which are always the, the, the great kind of info dump at the end where we can all sit back and say, you know what? We did a good fucking job there, so... Um, guys thank you very much for checking out this show as always your love and support makes us continue on big love to our buddy Andy Clark who is suffering movie by movie with us um, God bless you sir I'd, Like even when we tell you not to watch some you're still doing them anyway uh, and that is dedication to the cause um, until we speak to you again Mark do you want to say goodbye to our listeners goodbye listeners uh, stay safe out there uh, yeah go, go go watch something that would piss off your government yeah that's a that's a good sentiment and obviously the news that I want to hear when we record next time mark is when we're covering what has happened in the interim that Unicron has arrived and is preparing to eat the planet <laughs> uh, that's the only way that I'll be happy that's that's the next stage oh, maybe we're getting out of this alive and then fucking awesome Wells voice and Unicron shows up that'd be amazing <laughs> oh, Godzilla right behind yep yep oh man could you imagine right take care out there this is Duncan from Doing the Nasty and we will speak to you next time they were called nasties and they were nasty some of the things that we've seen are so horrific these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. <laughs>